Welcome to the Word of God with Father Reed Henserling, All Saints Episcopal Church in Lakeland, Florida. We are looking this week at the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. The 15th Sunday after Pentecost. Now we're going to be looking at our three important uh, works this week. We'll be looking at the book of Job and we'll begin Esther on Friday and Saturday, book of Job from Sunday to Thursday. We'll be looking at the book of Acts. We're continuing our study of Acts. Acts 15.36 through 17.34, the middle part of Acts, middle to end part of Acts. And the book of John. We were in John's gospel, the 11th chapter, the resurrection of Lazarus. We'll be looking at the end of that chapter and then going to chapters 12, chapter 12 throughout the week. So let's begin. Let's begin on Sunday's reading with the fantastic verse uh, in chapter 38. Remember, Job and his friends have given their points of view regarding what God is doing and subjecting Job to all these travails and problems. And then we go to the famous 38th chapter. I was actually talking to someone last night in a pastoral care call about the 38th chapter of Job. They felt like Job. So Job is a very universal book, and it's a book that many people are familiar with. And when one laments their walk in life or the circumstances that are upsetting them and messing their lives up, they often refer themselves as Job. So God finally speaks. He hasn't spoken for quite a while. He answers Job out of the storm. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundations? That's the first four verses. And then we go to verse 18. Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. So what happens in the 38th chapter is God asks Job lots of questions about what he knows. And of course, we find out in 18 to 41 that Job can't answer these questions. Do you know the laws of the heavens? Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drip drops of dew? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God or wander for lack of food? Who does all of that? Well, the answer is God Almighty. Can you do anything, Job? No. Job can't do anything. And so we lament once we're in the presence of God Almighty and we are sad because we go to the 40th chapter and he continues on in the 40th chapter on Tuesday and Monday, and we look at it. Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. You're accusing me? Speak. Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Would you discredit my justice? So God Almighty asked Job a series of questions about what he's doing and what he knows and how he is questioning God. And we see in chapter 41, can you pull in the Leviathan with a fish hook or 
tie down his tongue with a rope. And he just begins to continue to ask questions. He begins the process of interrogation, chapter after chapter. And finally, we get to the 42nd chapter. And Job responds to chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41. Wonderful, extraordinary chapters. And he says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Wow, what a great verse. Chapter 42, verse 3. I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Isn't that incredible? And isn't that amazing? That God Almighty, after revealing himself to Job, and he doesn't answer his questions. He sees the magnitude of how great God is and the wonder of God and the fact that God knows everything and actually does care for him. That he repents in sackcloth and ashes. Again, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the power of God, the authority of God. Extraordinarily important theological concepts and personal concepts. And then we go to the end of the chapter. And we find that God blesses Job abundantly. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. And so he blessed him, and he died old and full of years. Job is a great book of the Bible. It's a great 42 chapters. It is very common to all of us to experience those kinds of situations where we wonder, why are you doing this, God? I wish I were dead. This is terrible. This is unjust. This is unfair. What are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? Are you aware of what I'm going through? Do you care about me? Have you cast me off? Have I done something horrible against you? Why aren't you answering me? How dare you do this to me? I'm so angry. And on and on and on. And then instead of God answering all those questions, he simply reveals himself. And in his revelation of himself, he shows how great he is, how fantastic he is, and how he deserves our praise our wonder, and our trust. And even though it may not make any sense at all as to why these things are happening to us, we must trust the Lord. So for all of us who are struggling right now, trust in the Lord. He is good. His mercy is everlasting. In the book of Esther, we have this fabulous, historical, beautiful teaching Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, 10 chapters, and we are looking at the first couple of chapters. Esther is one of those books that I have read a few times. I finally read it all. It's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful book. So on Friday, we read the first chapter. On Saturday, we read the second chapter, and then really, it really picks up after that. 
Chapter 2, she's made the queen. Verse 7, this girl who was known as Esther was lovely in form and features in Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Beautiful woman. She had not revealed her nationality and her family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Before a girl's turn came in to go to see King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments. (laughs) That's interesting. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any other woman. Chapter 2, verse 17. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And so what we're going to find out as we look at this text next week, the following week, how God used this beautiful woman, this young Jewish girl, to save Israel. Because something horrible is supposed to happen. Something horrible is going to take place. And Esther is going to make an extremely important decision and a very brave and courageous one to save the Jewish people from extinction. In Acts chapter 15, we know that the Jews were saved because we have the book of Acts. We have the ministry to the Jews and then finally to the Gentiles. We spoke about the Council of Jerusalem last week. We sent out, they sent out a letter to the Gentile believers. And what you have in the book of Acts, particularly in these middle chapters, is the movement of Paul and Barnabas and others, their missionary work, their evangelism, their obstacles, their pluses and their minuses, the good times and the bad. And so we have Timothy joining them in chapter 16. The great Timothy, yes, that's the same Timothy that Paul wrote to Timothy 1 and Timothy 2. And then in the 16th chapter, which is pretty much what this whole week is about, first part of 17, we have Lydia's conversion in Philippi. We have Paul and Silas in prison in the end of chapter 16. This is this incredible verse and very famous verse in 1631, where the jailer says, what must we do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. God had done a tremendous work in rescuing them from the prison. The doors were thrown open. What must we do to be saved? And then he goes to Thessalonica, where we have the book of Thessalonians. And so when you're studying the New Testament and you're studying the epistles, you also want to see where that is highlighted in the book of Acts. Not necessarily the fact that they're writing an epistle, but who are these people? Where Where are they located? What's the geography look like? Some uh, scholars have looked at the sociology, some even the geology, the archaeology. Who's there? And then if they have a letter written about them, Philippi, Thessalonica, Colossae, Rome, of course, that's the classic one, right? Corinth. Then you go and read the letter and you juxtapose the letter with the history located in the book of Acts. So Paul goes through Thessalonica. 
beautiful verse, verse 2 and 3, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, examining and explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. So his objective was to share the gospel and pray that by the grace and mercy of God, they would receive the gospel. I'm currently working um, in Thessalonians. And so this entry into 1 Thessalonians is understandable or more understandable when I read about Thessalonica in chapter 17 of Acts. In Berea, very famous verse, 1711, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. That's interesting, isn't it? For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Very important. Okay? And um, so we have the book of Acts in chapter 17, 16 to 34. He's in Athens, and he has this great uh, scripture where he stood in the meeting of the Areopagus. Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and observed your objects of worship, I even know found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown I am going to proclaim to you. So the beautiful soliloquy in the second half of 17 that we see and read about on Saturday, beautiful soliloquy of Paul when he's in the very famous city of Athens. So you can take your map and kind of follow Paul around this missionary journey. And what's highlighted is his obstacles, things that go well, the things that go poorly, the beautiful soliloquies and teachings that he has interspersed in the book of Acts, a beautiful reading. And he talks about Christ. He talks about the gospel. He's presenting the gospel and he's praying that they would receive the gospel in faith. So enjoy the book of Acts this week, along with the books of Job and Esther. We look at the book of John. And of course, every week we are always looking at a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And last week, of course, we looked at John chapter 11, and we were looking at the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which Jesus miraculously does. And then we have the end of chapter 11, and we have the fact that the plot was to kill Jesus, and we have his anointing, the plot to kill Jesus in chapter 11, and then we move into chapter 12 where he's anointed at Bethany. And then he enters on Tuesday, chapter 12, 9 to 19, he has the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We call that Palm Sunday in the liturgical calendar. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So now he comes to Jerusalem. Why is he coming to Jerusalem? He's coming to Jerusalem to die. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he comes to Jerusalem, and then there's an interim period between his coming to Jerusalem and his going to the cross, the Last Supper, etc. And so we have those chapters in John before he is finally arrested and taken captive, and that would be chapter 18. So we have 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And John is very unique in these chapters, very unique. It's wonderful, wonderful reading. So in chapter 12, he enters, and then he predicts his death. 
He predicts his death Wednesday, John chapter 12, 20 to 26, and then 27 to 36. And he's talking uh, with some Greeks, and he's having this wonderful testimony about himself. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. God speaks, one of the three times that God speaks audibly. He says in verse 35, you're going to have the light a little while longer. Walk where you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in chapter 12, verse 37, they still would not believe in him. How tragic. They still would not believe in him after he had done all of these things for all of these people. So as you're reading John, you're looking at the dialogue. You're listening to the words of Jesus, the eternal words of Jesus. You're looking for the context of which he's speaking. You're looking for how the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the others respond to him. You're looking for how the people respond to him, how individuals respond to him. There's so much there. It's a lifetime of reading. Enjoy it. Sadly, the Jewish people did not believe and did not receive him. And so we finish the week off in John chapter 12, 44 to 50, the end of the chapter. And he's talking to the Pharisees again. They would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. This is other people. Because the Pharisees were very serious in their concern for Jesus and concern for other people accepting Jesus that if people did accept Jesus, they couldn't go to the synagogue, which was very serious because that's where they worshiped and fellowshiped. Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So without Christ, we are still in darkness. I did not come to judge the world. Verse 48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my word. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. I know that his command leads to eternal life. Okay? So, if, um, as Jesus gets ready for his death, he shares more with us. Again, the uniqueness of John, how he shares with us his unfortunate and sad conversations with the religious people who didn't accept him, who didn't believe, as I said in verse 37. I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him the last day. I know that his command, the command of God, leads to eternal life. So there's something so important about the word of God. So as you're reading Job, finishing Job, beginning Esther, continuing on with Acts, continuing on with John, listen to the scriptures. Listen to what God is saying to you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Ask God's grace to be with you as you listen to the word of the Lord and contemplate his word. Lord Jesus, bless your people as they endeavor to know you better through the reading of the Holy Scriptures. We ask all of these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful week of reading the word of God.